Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen, amen. We'll be turning this morning to the book of 1 Kings chapter number 19. Amen. We're glad to have all of our guests here with us this morning for baby Addison and Jennifer and and so on and so forth. Their precious family coming out to be uh, supportive of them. And we're grateful today. Amen for that. Hallelujah. 1 Kings chapter number 19. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 9. Bible says, and he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. They seek my life to take it away. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering end of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? One more time, verse number 12. And after the earthquake of fire, the Lord was not in the fire and after the fire a still small voice some of the Jewish writings the Talmud translate and after the fire a still small voice as this after the fire silence and a voice I heard and a voice I heard this morning I want to talk to you just a little bit and I'm going to be mindful of our time. We have a baby to dedicate and baptism and all kinds of activity here today. But I want to talk to you this morning about a voice in the silence. A voice in the silence. Amen. We need the Lord's help today. I know I do. Father, I come to you today. I pray, oh Lord, your word does not return void. Father, let it go forth and do that which it was sent to accomplish in the lives of your people this morning. God, whoever, Lord Jesus, God may be in need, Lord, of God, getting in touch, Lord, with the voice, Father, that's in the silence, God. I pray, oh, Lord, that you're able to help us today, God, to lean upon you and that our senses would be keenly aware, Lord Jesus, of our surroundings, God, and maybe of what you would desire to do or want to do, Lord Jesus, in this place today or in the life of an individual. will not fail to thank you and praise you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. God bless you today. In Jesus' name, you may be seated this morning. A voice in the silence, a voice in the silence. 
character of our story here today is Elijah, not to be confused with Elisha, but it is Elijah. And Elijah, whenever he makes his debut in Scripture, he is a very unassuming individual upon first meeting him. He seems to, according to the word of the Lord, come out of nowhere, as it would seem in chapter number 17 of 1 Kings. He comes out of nowhere. We really have no introduction to him. We don't have any information about his mom or his dad or his family history. He comes out of nowhere, and yet he goes straight to the palace of a wicked king by the name of Ahab, and he lifts his prophetic voice about how there was not going to be any dew nor rain according to his word up on the earth uh, as long as he has stated it. It will not take place. It will not happen unless he opens his mouth again and proclaims that there will be dew or there will be rain. And as though it means anything, the Bible tells us in chapter 17 that Elijah is said to be of the inhabitants of Gilead, as though that means something, because Gilead was a somewhat uninhabited area. It was a place, according to geography, a place of solitude, and it was mainly consisted of outdoor life. And as such, Elijah was secluded from being in that place. He was secluded from all the fanfare of a normal hustle and bustle type of activity that would be found in a city. Therefore, Elijah, in many regards, was an inhabitant of a somewhat uninhabited area and city outdoor place it was from this remote area though that God would call him to be his prophet he would call him from that seclusion to be his messenger boy his his errand runner and no sooner had Elijah told King Ahab that there would not be dew nor rain upon the earth according to his word. He's then very quickly again tucked away, the Bible says, by a brook called Cherith, another, another remote place, another secluded area, something that may have been uh, very similar to what he had known from what he had come from, again, being tucked away in a secluded, isolated area. And so though most of Elijah's life was mostly isolated from the rest. The Bible tells us over and over again uh, that he had an unmistakable ability to recognize the voice of the Lord. In all of that silence and that solitude and not being in the hustle bustle of society, he had an ear for the voice of the Lord. Time and time again in Scripture, if you read from 1 Kings 17 to, to even into 2 Kings, you'll begin to read the story of Elijah and the stories of Elijah. And the Bible all times says this in the Scripture, that the word of the Lord came unto him saying, over and over that phrase is applied to Elijah that the word of the Lord is coming to him saying and so amid all of the seclusion that Elijah was exposed to and the solitude and even the silence he heard a voice in all of that that seemed to be no hustle no excitement nothing grandeur he could hear the voice of the Lord silence today we all I know it's harder today than any other day but we experience silence at times the definition of silence according to Webster is silence is the absence of ambient audio audible sound or the emissions of sounds with such low intensity that they draw no attention silence can be a sign of danger 
Silence can be, a moment of silence can be used to commemorate a tragic event such as 9-11 and are not so uh, far past. Music that you even hear played and sung depends on silence in order to give other moments greater impact and to provide rest so that the hearer may contemplate what they have heard. Vinod Menon, he did some study with some fMRI imaging, and he said that whenever people listen to music, they discovered that the peak of positive brain activity actually occurs in the silent pauses between the notes that when the brain at those moments of silence between the notes is striving to anticipate what the next note will be in other words he said that our brains covet the silent musical intervals more than anything else because they're expecting something to happen from the silence Amen. And yet we have conditioned our lives, modern day America, you and I, we have conditioned our lives this morning around noise. We fill our lives with noise. Uh, Someone that's sitting alone just in the quiet, they got to do something so it's not so quiet. I don't know if anybody identifies with what I'm saying right now, but according to George uh, Prochnik, he said the word noise is actually derived from another word in our English language. Noise is derived from the word nausea. Specifically that seasickness type of dizzy and disorientation that you get with nausea. That's where the word noise come from. Somebody's uncomfortable right now because most extended moments of silence like I just took make us uncomfortable because we're left with the dialogue. Someone was uncomfortable, wasn't you? You're left with you're left with the dialogue of your own thoughts. You're left with the dialogue of your own minds. People go to sleep today with music playing or TVs that are blaring or some other type of white noise. You know who you are. It's called a fan. That you don't even maybe need the air, you just need the noise of the fan. If you go on a trip and you forgot your fan, you might have some extra fans at home because you bought a fan, because you needed something to feel the noise. Silence for some people keeps them awake more than the noise keeps them awake. They say, I've oftentimes someone say something, it's too quiet here. It's too quiet here in the silence. I've heard people tell me that church sometimes is the scariest place at night because they come in here and it's silent. And you hear the shifting of the the structure and the members and you hear the crackling of the pipes as they expand and they go back with all of the, the different things, the shifting of the structure. All of that is heard in the silence. But I want to tell us here today in a generation, in a world that constantly needs to fill it with noise because they're uncomfortable with the silence. Let me tell you today, please do not be tempted to always fill the silence with noise. Please do not look at silence and always turn your head in that direction and just curse it and say, well, this is horrible. It's too quiet around here because we may be missing something in the silence if we're always trying to fill it with noise. Perhaps we need to be like Elijah and we need to draw near unto the silence. The Bible says there were some noisy happenings that happened prior to the still small voice that Elijah, amen, experienced. There was 
wind and there was earthquake and there was fire. And it does seem in scripture, and we'll look at this today, it does seem in scripture that God works many times through the wind. He works many times through the shuddering of an earthquake or even through the illumination of a fire. But although God works through those things, many times God speaks in the silence. God's revelation for Elijah, if you'll notice in scripture, was specifically at the moment of silence. It wasn't at the moment of the wind. It wasn't at the moment of the earthquake. It wasn't at the moment of the fire. But he specifically, amen, brought a word unto Elijah in the silence. After the fire, the silence and a voice I heard. Job had a similar experience in his book. The Bible says, Job said in Job 4.16, he says, an image was before mine eyes, he said, and there was silence, and I heard a voice saying. In other words, Job said, in the silence, I heard a voice. In the silence, there came a revelation unto me. And God's revelation for us in our lives sometimes will not come when the noise is there and when all the ambient noise of the world is there, but it'll come in those moments of silence. The Bible tells us the preacher in Ecclesiastes was writing. He was telling us how there's a time to build up and a time to break down, a time to mourn and a time to rejoice, a time to mend and a, all these different things. But among that list in Ecclesiastes 3 that he said there was a time and a season for, he said there is a time to speak and there's a time to keep silence. Perhaps he knew something that we need to you know, familiarize ourselves with that perhaps God can bring revelation even in in the silence. Perhaps a voice can speak to us while we refrain from speaking. While we refrain from filling the silence with noise, perhaps God will bring a revelation or a word in the silence. But we have accustomed ourselves and put our lives, even as Christians, on a diet that if it's not the fire, I don't want to have no part of it. If it's not the wind, count me out. If it's not the shuddering of the earthquake, I don't want it. Sir, ma'am, can I tell you, if that's all that you're going to grapple for, you are cheating yourself because God can bring revelation and a voice of instruction even in the silence. Say, well, that makes me uncomfortable, Brother McGee. Well, maybe you need to be uncomfortable. We can drown out his voice if we're not careful because we want to always fill up the silence with noise. Amen? But folks, today... I don't want just all activity and no word. I need to hear his voice. Through the creative book of Genesis, the pattern that was set in the beginning was that the word preceded the work. That was the pattern. The word preceded the work. God said, let there be light. The work, and there was light. And God said the word. Let there be a firmament. Look at the setting of all of this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the waters. There's not a whole lot of noise that can be going on yet. 
because we're in the formative scriptures and verses of creation. But out of the silence came a voice. And the voice, what followed the voice was a work. And God said, and God said, and God said, let the waters be gathered together under the heavens. The word. But then the work, and the Bible says, and it was so. Someone say amen. And you, you, you might not be able to find the exact moment throughout, throughout the word. But somewhere along the way, whether it be for the hardness of hearts of humanity, somewhere along the way, the work began to precede the word. The very pattern of creation seemed to be somewhat shifting and altered that the work began to precede the word. It's not long that we start our path into the books of the Bible that we come to Exodus and we read of another man by the name of Moses who is out on the backside of a pasture keeping his father-in-law's sheep and while he's out there, lo and behold, there is a bush and it's on fire. And he says, I've seen this bush, this activity, this work that's going on, a bush that's on fire and not being consumed. And the Bible says that Moses turned to see this great sight. And he drew near to it. And from the fiery bush, God spoke to Moses. We have a shift. Used to, God would speak and then it would be a work. But now there's an alteration going on. Now there is the work of fire and God speaking from the word. There's another place in the book of Job. You read of the headache and the heartache of his loss and what he suffered in his life. His friends have their own opinion of why it's coming upon him. He's done some horrible sin. He's done something in the sight of God that God is not well pleased with. And Job has his own conversations with his friends and even with God. And yet again, we see this shift that's taken place because the Bible says there was a whirlwind There was a wind, and out of that whirlwind, that strong wind, God would answer Job, and God would speak to Job. Again, it was the work of the wind, and then there was the word. Then we get into the New Testament scripture, and we see it on the left hand, and we see it on the right hand. People are always vying for a sign. They're always wanting a wonder. They're always wanting a miracle. They're always wanting some great deed, and many times it took a sign or a wonder or some great deed in the New Testament before anybody would listen to his word. There was a shift. I don't believe, amen, that shift happened, amen, just by happenstance. I believe because of the mentality of people, they couldn't just sit in the silence and just listen for the word. They needed activity in order to be able to hear someone hear what I'm saying right now? There was a shift. People had grown so accustomed that if I don't have the noise, if I don't have the wind, if I don't have the fire, if I don't have the earthquake, then you don't have my attention. But God says, I need you to grow comfortable in the silence because there's some revelatory things I need to tell you when nothing else is speaking, when nothing else has your attention. When Someone say amen. And yet when the first things, Brother Terry, that God told Ezekiel when he took him in the vision to the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel 37. Dry bones, dry, very dry, dissembled, right? We're talking about a bone graveyard. I don't know when's the last time you was at a graveyard, but it's not usually too noisy there. Probably another reason why people don't like to go to the graveyard. He's in a valley of very dry bones. He's among death. It's utter silence. 
But this was God's word to Ezekiel. He says, Ezekiel, this is what I want you to do in the silence. He says, I want you to prophesy. I want you to prophesy to the bones. I want you to speak the word. God, you don't, you don't want me to start getting these things put together? You, you, you don't want me to get the wind stirred up so breath can come back into their bodies? You, you, don't, you, don't, want me to, you don't want me to somehow see a f- flesh and sin you come? No, no, no. He says, he's going back to the pattern of creation. He says, prophesy to him. It's silent. It's prophesy to him. Speak the word to them. Why? Because from the silence was going to come the revelation. The Bible says in Ezekiel 37 and verse 7, here Ezekiel was obedient to the word of the Lord. He says, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, look what happened. There was a noise. He said, whenever I spoke the word, he said, the noise followed it. He said, there was a noise. There was a shakening. And the bones came together, bone to his bone. If you go on reading, he prophesied to the wind and breath came back into them. Muscle and sinew came upon them. But all of that came from the seed origin point of silence where God brought revelation, instruction, and a word was spoken. I wonder today, what could be the outcome if we would sit silent in our silence and listen for the voice of God, the instruction of God, the God. Oh, someone say yes. The voice was found in the silence and the noise followed the voice. What happens? You all know it just earlier when I gave you about 10 seconds of silence, some of you all were dreading. It's like, come on, everything okay? Because what are you doing in that moment? Your brain is just humanity, our structure, the physiologically part of us is just trained that when there's silence, We're anticipating what's going to happen. Even in animals, in the silence, they're listening. What's going to happen? Is there a prey or predator, friend or foe? What's going to happen next? Son, we need some silence in our life so we can be anticipating what's about ready to come. What's going to happen next? Because in the silence, God has a way of amplifying the revelation. You don't all the time need to be talking. You know, in our bodies, God even made it as such. In our bodies. You have the outer ear, the inner ear, and the middle ear. You know, in your ear there, in the middle ear spot, that whenever you begin to speak, there is a shudder in the middle ear that comes over and it silences the sound because you're the speaker. And it would be very, very loud to you. It's amazing how much our ears really magnify the sounds that we hear. It'd be very loud to you if you were to speak and that shudder wasn't there. As a matter of fact, in some of of animals and such, that shudder is connected to the jaw. So that when the mouth opens, the shudder slides over. What's that mean? You don't always need to be hearing what you're saying. You sometimes just need some silence. To hear another voice that can speak into your life. Here's the fact of the matter. What I believe happened to the Old Testament Israelites and even New Testament Christians is this. Is that if we are not careful, we will become intoxicated with Red Seas parting. Waters that gush forth from a rock. Earth opening up to to take down those that were in rebellion against Moses and Aaron. 
We'll get intoxicated with manna that falls from heaven. What are you saying? We'll get intoxicated that it's always got to be wind and, and it's always got to be earthquake and it's always got to be fire. But the revelation of the silence is this. Listen to me very clearly. The revelation of the silence was this. It was good for Elijah. It's good for us. God is not only with you when the mighty visible things are happening or when the great displays of his power are seen, but he is with you when the silence has settled in on life. Oh, yeah. No one by no means would, would, would say any different. That, that wind and that earthquake, that's God. That, that, that's God. Oh, I, I see God working over here. I know he's with me because I, but what happens when there's silence? You feel forsaken by God. You feel abandoned by God. You wonder if God knows where you are. But if you would just sit still in the silence, revelation would come. That listen here, I'm not just with you when you see the lightning flash. I'm not just with you when you feel my power and my presence. I'm not just with you whenever you see the handiwork of the earthquake or the fire. I am with you whenever there's silence that is settling all around you and you feel secluded and you feel alone and you feel isolated and you feel frustrated and you feel uncomfortable. I'm with you even then. When you're wondering what's going to happen next, I'm there with you. When you're wondering if something's going to happen to you, I'm there with you. But you got to be silent in this moment to hear the rest revelation that I'm still there no fire no earthquake no wind right now but I'm still there someone say amen think with me again folks Elijah has come from the uninhabited recesses of Gilead but no sooner he came from there and he starts his public ministry we see him at a widow's house and he's instrumental in the hand of God making sure that a barrel of meal wouldn't waste and the, the, the crews of oil would not fail although both of these things were being used. And so as he's using meal, there's still meal to use. As they're using the oil, it's not going dry. There's still oil to be used. Anybody in the right mind will look at that and say, man, that's God. Someone say amen. God would use this Elijah for the same widow and her son. Her son, the Bible says, died and Elijah would be used, instrumental of God, to bring that boy back to life, dead, back to life. Nobody could refute the fact, Brother Malone, that's God. He would go up on the mount called Carmel with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 of the grove. They had a contest up there and look at the perimeters of the contest. He said, you build your altar, you take your bullock, you cry out to your God, don't put no fire under it. He says, and whatever God answers by, fire. Whatever God answers by fire, that be God. The Bible says that whenever Elijah prepared his altar and he even poured water upon his and he gave just a very simple prayer, that 
fire fell from heaven and it licked up the water and it consumed the sacrifice and the wood. And so fire from heaven fell as a proof to the legitimacy of his God. And so here's Elijah start piecing things together. Man, dead raised, that's God. Barrel not wasting, that's God. Fire fall from heaven, that's God. He goes and he tells Ahab, it's not rain for three and a half years. He tells Ahab, he said, Ahab, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. It's gonna rain, you better get your chair ready. He goes to the mountain and he prays and he sends his servant seven times to look to see if there's any clouds. And at the last, he says there's a cloud about the size of a man's hand. And the Bible says in the meantime, the precursor to the rain was this, that the heavens grew black with clouds and there was wind. So here's Elijah. My goodness, barrels not wasting, that's God. Dead raising, that's God. Fire showing up and licking up the offering, that's God. Wind blowing, being the precursor to the rain. All of that is God. Elijah had grown accustomed to experiencing the effects of the wind and the fire and the earthquake. But now he's standing in a open cave. Woo! Having experienced all of this and seen all of this, he isn't sensing God in any of the fire. He's not sensing God in any of the wind or any of the earthquake. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things. I'm just saying all things, fire, wind, earthquake, and silence have its proper. The psalmist said in Psalms 50 and verse 3, he said, our God shall come and shall not keep silence. Look now, he says, a fire shall devour before him and it shall be very tempestuous. Strong winds are round about him. He says, sometimes these things just accompany God, but they are not God themselves. They are the attributes, the outworkings of God. But among all the fire and the wind and all these things, there is a core. And that's God. There is one that is, that is the causation behind all of this. And that's God. And so before God spoke to Elijah in the silence through a still small voice, he's experiencing wind and he's experiencing earthquake and he's experiencing fire. And all these things seem to be preceding God. But God's not in any of them. They, they just seem to be preceding his coming. They went before him. They encircled him. They were, if you will, his entourage. And I don't know, folks, because when we read of Elijah in this moment, look what he's done. He has left the arena of the public again. He's not around people. The Bible says he went to Beersheba with his servant and left his servant there. And then he went a day's journey into the wilderness. And then he makes it to the Mount of God, Horeb. What are you saying? He's getting back to an isolated place. He's getting back to seclusion. He's getting back to a similar spot where he was when he first heard God tell him, go. I'd say it like this, Elijah Grown accustomed to a lot of things through his ministry. Elijah may have been trying to get back to his roots. Having left the servant, went to the wilderness, going finally into the mount of God. I know this seems odd to us, but what if Elijah wanted to resort to the silence one more time? The solitude one more time. If so, he's reminded in the moment that not all silence 
is the same. Previously, whenever he was on Mount Carmel with the competition of the prophets of Baal in the grove and the fire fell, previously, when he allowed the prophets of Baal and them to make their altar and wood and sacrifice first and call upon their God first, whenever all that was taking place, and he was sitting over there patiently waiting for them to do their sacrifice, do their thing, get their answer. He saw them and heard them. The Bible states record of it in 1 Kings 18, 26. That all these multitude of people, you know, hundreds of people over here, they're crying out to their God. Oh, Baal! Oh, Baal! Hear us, Baal! Hear us now, Baal! But the Bible says this particularly in verse 26. But there was no voice. Rather than just staying silent and seeing if anything would happen, what do they do? They fill it with more noise. The Bible says that they got on top of their altar. They began to leap around on top of their altar. They needed all the theatrics. They are cutting themselves, the scripture says, with knives. Blood gushing out of their bodies upon the altar. The Bible says that they even filled the air with prophecies. They're, what are they doing? They're filling it all with this noise. And yet it continues to say in verse 29, but neither was there a voice. Not all silence is the same. However, as Elijah stood in the cave and the wind rent the mountains and the earth shook the very foundations the earthquake did and and the fire illuminated the sky, he perceived nothing until the silence And in the silence, unlike those of the prophets of Baal, he heard a voice. Listen to me. Elijah was given in this moment, truly, a revelation. He was told in this moment when the voice spoke and continued to speak that Elijah, know that you feel like you're by yourself. I know it feels like you're carrying the load alone. I know that you've even requested to die. He says, but Elijah, he says, you need to go and anoint Hazael king. And you need to go anoint Jehu king as well. And you need to go anoint Elisha so that he can serve as a prophet in your stead. Just follow me here for a moment. He told him those three things. Anoint Hazael, Jehu, and Elisha has a revelation. I'd even dare to say that the revelation of anointing those three men and what precipitates from that was equally as important, if not more important, than the works that was performed by the fire on Carmel and the wind that came that preceded the rain. The Bible says this in 1 Kings 19 and verse 17. And it shall come to pass. This is the voice that's still speaking to him in the silence. And it shall come to pass that him... That escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. And so Elijah, you felt alone. You felt as though even life would be taken from you. But what you've learned in the silence of all places. What you've learned in the silence of all places is indeed this. You are are not alone. 
And though eventually, Elijah, you will die, your work, might I even say your anointing, will outlive this moment. What are you saying? I'm saying in the silence, Elijah wasn't deprived of God. No, he was pulled close to God. You say, Brother McGee, but it's silent right now. It might be he's pulled you close out of all the ambient noise. Shut in with God, as the old song used to say, in that secret. Maybe he's pulled you out of the noise into the silence of his presence, into the silence of his arms. You know something that's ironic? This is just kind of a side note. Ironic about the story of Elijah. You know, he, he never did die. He was taken away, you'll remember. You remember what he was taken away by? A whirlwind and chariots of fire. Because in those moments, all of that wind and fire was nothing more but trademarks of a man that had grown confident in the revelation that he got in silence. This turns my mind attention another direction and I got to hurry. That in the trial and the crucifix of Jesus Christ, the leaders and governors were amazed at the silence of Jesus during his trial. They were amazed at the silence of Jesus during his interrogation. They, they could not believe that he held his peace. That's what the scripture says. Even more amazing is perhaps his prominent silence on the cross. When the crowds are saying, like in Matthew 27, verse 20, 42, the crowds are saying, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. You know what the, that voice, what that saying is to Jesus on the cross really is? It's from a crowd that had grown accustomed to wind, to fire, and to earthquake but didn't know how to be silent and see or hear the revelation. The Bible says, though, Jesus, with all those antagonizing words and words of trying to tempt him to do something, the Bible says no guile was found in his mouth. The Bible says in Peter that whenever he was reviled, he reviled not again. And when he suffered, he threatened not. The Bible says Isaiah even prophesied it. He says he will not open his mouth. He will be brought as a lamb to slaughter. As a sheep before his shears is dumb. So he will not open his mouth. And at Calvary, we understand from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, what? That darkness was over the face of the earth. There there's nothing more close of a silence than whenever it's a silence that you experience in darkness. For those three hours, it's covered the face of the earth on that crucifix day. There must have been an eerie silence that accompanied it. But in the silence, there was a voice that said, It is finished. In the silence was a revelation. The crowds wanted a display of power. But he gave them a revelation by a voice in the silence. It is finished. You know what Christ is saying in that moment on a cross? It was all silent. He knew to keep silent until it was time. He was saying this to a world of humanity. I'm here. I'm not left you. 
And I'm Jesus Christ. Christ meaning the anointed one. The anointing, my anointing is going to live out this present moment of darkness. My anointing is going to live out this present moment of silence. And watch this. All of humanity, you're going to be saved because I knew when to keep silent and when to bring a revelation in it rather than giving you a display of power. My revelation of power will have been seen in the silence. Oh, God. I wonder today if you could stand with me, what might we could be missing by trying to fill our lives with all the noise whenever God may be wanting a holy pause in them. If we could bow our eyes, this, bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. If I could urge us today, I would urge us this simply. Let's not fill the silence with all of the noise. Let's not feel as though we got to somehow interrupt the silence because it's too uncomfortable or it's too quiet right now. Because I don't want us as a church or individually, I don't want us to miss the voice because we're looking for the fire. I don't want us to miss the voice because we're trying to be tuned in to the earthquake or to the wind. Let's not only look, can I say church, let's not only look for what God does, but let's listen for what he says. Because perhaps today, he told him whenever you pray, he says, go into your closet. And he's not talking about a literal closet. He's just talking about a place of isolation somewhere. He says, and shut, shut the door on your prayer room. Why? Because maybe even in some silent intervals in that moment, God will speak. You'll hear his voice. There'll be a revelation. Perhaps even today, amen, we could get alone with God. And all the ambient noise can just fall by the wayside so that we might hear his revelation the revelation of his presence the revelation of his anointing power that's even going to go beyond our moment of what we feel like is just a total silent dark secluded isolated time god speaks in the silence there could be somebody here today that says pastor mcgee i have felt like for some time i felt like for some time i've been in that that room of isolation that place of seclusion it has seemed very silent to me it's though i don't hear god speaking to me or, or all the noise around me has just come to a dull hum and it's just totally silent silent and i'm just in that place i'm trying to anticipate what is next and nothing's taking place sir or ma'am please don't be hasty in the silence Please don't curse the silence. God could be on the verge of speaking in your silence, bringing revelation and comfort and help. Hallelujah. To draw you out. Amen. And show you that it's better than what you think it is. And it's going to be okay. Hallelujah. Could there be somebody here today? This altar is open. Maybe someone here this morning says, Brother McGee, I, I just want to come today. And I just want to find a place to pray this morning. I just want to find a place to pray. Brother McGee, I just want to come because I've just lived my life from one fire to the next fire from one wind to the next wind from one earthquake to the other hallelujah but perhaps we need to get back to the pattern of the beginning perhaps we need to let the silence be there and God to speak and then the thus it was so happened maybe there needs to be the prophecy of an Ezekiel in a valley of dry bones that after the word is spoken then the work begins would someone entrust the Lord with their life in the silence this morning 
Would someone entrust the Lord with their life in the silence? Oh, it's uncomfortable. I know it can be uncomfortable. Society has conditioned us to only want to have the noise. But in the economy of God, he oftentimes even works in the silent moments. God could work in somebody's silence today. God could speak in somebody's silence today. We open these altars this morning, Brother Mason will, will, will bring us to a close here with a song of, of, of the preaching of the word. If you feel uncomfortable coming to pray, you can stand right where you are in your pew this morning with your head bowed and you begin to talk to God. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.